What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I have Dr. Andrea Haverkamp. She is has a PhD in environmental engineering and is a labor organizer. Enjoy the conversation. Andrea, welcome, welcome to Rick's Mind. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So I kind of, you know, we were talking a little bit off camera and I, I think the best place to start is kind of take me through why you decided to become so learned. What was, what was the main reason for that? You're very studious. I, I love that as a, a non-studious person. I admire, I admire that in you. Well, you are so gracious and kind. As a host, I would say my primary interest was I wanted to leave town and I wanted a party. So <laughs> I grew up in a small town. <laughs> Isn't that like half of the college experience right now for so many people? I was uh, I grew up in a small town in Kansas, about 600 folk. It's called Hoyt, okay. Kansas. And Ooh. it's real rural. You know, we didn't have any stop lights. We had a couple stop signs in town. Um, pigs, cows, the whole lot. And I was so mad as a teen with the internet, hearing like MCR and emo music and ska and punk, but living out there in the sticks and just being like, where is culture and why in why am I out here? And so college is the ultimate sort of Hail Mary to get out of a small town and to get out of what I was doing, which was working to clean tables at a casino. And so it was really an attempt to find a new place. I moved into student housing at 8 a.m. the very first day I was able to. Um, as a sh- uh, So the very first time slot, the very first day I was able to that's how eager I was to get out of town. I actually flunked my first term of college. I failed out of college calculus. Again, too much partying and getting out of town. Yeah, no, definitely. So, I mean, um, only by losing my scholarships did I did I actually uh, persist. Uh, oh shit! Oh shit! You lost you lost all of your scholarships your first year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that's the whole reason why even like I have three degrees in engineering is as, uh, you know, that's where they offer the scholarships. If I could have waved a magic wand, I would have played trumpet and done musicals and that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, they they gave the money to be able to get out of the small town to be in engineering, which has been where I've spent the last about 14 years of my life, just blessed and cursed. Um in this weird thing that's called engineering, um, both in terms of jobs and higher education. And, uh, you know, you have a degree to pay off the loans to get the degree in the job that you don't actually want. And then an attempt to career change, I came back for a different engineering degree. Because, you know, what do you do when your whole resume just says engineering all over it? Not a lot. You kind of got to stick with engineering. So... That is, uh, that's why I I got so many engineering degrees. Um, Sometimes I even enjoyed it. You know, I've always said this. I think, you know, everyone comes into college like pre-med and, or a lot of people, a lot of people I went to school with were pre-med. But the, the hardest undergrad degree, in my opinion, 
and this is also because I'm horrible at math, is engineering. Because you got to go in like at a, with advanced calculus or you're behind, like plain and simple. And there's so much studying and sacrifice and they have no lives and it just it seems awful and i i could never i could never do that um i barely got through calculus it was the bane of my existence i think i had to take it like twice but both of the like business same here (laughs) but you got through you person and i was i was done by statistics i was like this is it's the worst but i mean so what 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 types of engineering degrees do you have Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, I got, I have a bachelor's in chemical engineering, um, out in Kansas and I have two half completed minors cause I dislike part of the thing is, you know, I think for engineering, it is very, very, very difficult. And I think in some ways, um, unnecessarily difficult when we think about the problems we have, why do we structure it so that only one way of thinking and being and learning is, is valued and then we we aggressively just sort of haze students until the only people remaining are the ones that fit this one specific mold to do this one specific job. So to sustain myself for my bachelor's, I just took a, a lot of student loans out to take a bunch of courses that didn't actually count. So I took a class on spiders. I took a jazz class. I took a kickball class. I took a... I have a half completed minor in business and a half completed minor in religious studies. I kept trying out different things, but ultimately the sort of sunk cost of going so far into chemical engineering. Um, And then sometimes enjoying a little bit. I I got an internship with, uh, there's a a monarch butterfly conservation lab out there. So I played with caterpillars and butterflies and all the data there. And I worked at the Environmental Protection Agency and going out into rivers and streams. But a lot of chemical engineering, it sounds cool until you realize 80% of it is oil and petroleum. And I didn't know that because they kind of, they kind of lie to a lot of incoming students, you know? How does our giant oil and fossil fuel industry keep going? Some of it is deception of kids as young as 18 saying, uh, looking at a college major online and it says chemical engineering, you can change the world with genetic stuff and biomedical stuff and uh, yada, yada, yada. And then you find out everyone at the career fair is pretty much Halliburton, Schlumberger, ExxonMobil, Chevron, Phillips, uh, BP, um, and all their little enablers, the little contractors. So... Uh, my older brother actually has a degree in chemical engineering, and uh, I went the environmental and social justice route in engineering, and he still sticks in oil to this day. And we've always joked that uh, there, there's got to be a time we can meet on top of a mountain and sword battle to death because we both are <laughs> chemical engineers by training, but we took very different paths. And um, he uh, doesn't support his workplace union, and I, I love labor unions, so, you know, it's... Um, but we're both redheads, and that kind of unites us. No, oh, there you go. There, you guys got to stick together. Redheads unite. Um, so, when you you said you you love labor unions, this is I mean, this is a good segue, and this is something I really want to get into. Like, what do you love about them? And and understand you you work with labor unions. You're, I believe, an organizer, correct, of labor unions. Like, how did you get into that rabbit hole? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think there's inklings of it throughout your life. You know, as, as life goes on, I'm 33 right now. You can kind of see little bits of who you become as an adult in your young self. My one of my senior yearbook photos was me in a hammer and sickle t-shirt, right? Like I don't think at 17, 18, I actually really understood labor, the workers, communism for that matter. But I knew that there was something about the left and of people power that made more sense than uh, money, government, and high finance. And throughout growing up and working a lot of shitty jobs uh, at a grocery store, at a casino, at uh, Jimmy John's was actually pretty great. The compensation was terrible, but slinging sandwiches is pretty fun. Um, You know, you kind of develop this sense that something is fundamentally wrong with the power dynamics, right? Like these presidents, these, these, leaders, our governors, they actually aren't the ones pressing us nine to five, 40 to 50 hours a week. That's actually our boss. They're not elected. We don't elect our boss. Um, They don't have to listen to us. They have total control over their lives. They can make you homeless within a day. They can fire you, steal your wages, mistreat you however you want. So I think through experiencing terrible bosses and shitty workplaces, I started to get really, really interested and involved. And then you sort of, I uh, got really into history for a period. My favorite is like the era between like 1890 and uh, World War One. There's just so much interesting stuff that happened in those 30 years. And one of it was a really fighting and militant movement of workers and anarchists and socialists and communists here in the United States, whose history has yep. been largely obscured hidden or removed. And so I, I loved it. And I then developed this passion for labor, but I didn't get to join my first labor union until I started my PhD at Oregon State University um, in like 2016. And uh, I just saw the power of people standing together in a workplace and fighting for change. And I just got so hooked. Okay. So that's, so I mean that that history that you speak about, you know, Sacco and Vissetti. I, I think I may have mispronounced that. So John, Google that. But um, just a, with a lot of the anarchists and Bolshevism that was going on in the early, uh, you know, nineteenth century, I, I find that era to be incredibly fascinating. I mean, there was a lot of violence. You have, um, I think, the Battle of Blair Mountain, where you have a bunch of coal miners that revolted, and they sent the federal government and the army in there. Also, you would probably Google that. I could be wrong on that. But, um, oh, he's coming in. Um, yeah, I, I believe, I don't know enough about this era of history. I'm afraid I am a little ignorant on this. Um, if they're Italian, which I'm guessing by the names, it'd be Sacco and Vanzetti. Something like that, yes. But yeah, and then yeah, pull, put the. I think it's the Battle Blair Mountain. Is the was it? I believe it's Virginia or West Virginia yes. coal mine revolt. That was super, super mm-hmm. fascinating. Um, and th- that is not to a large degree ever taught. And that's something that I mean, I'm I'm pretty pretty well read when it comes to history. But like that's also an era that's kind of a a, a bit of a black spot, right? Um, so what is it like right now that you're doing in terms it of like organizing this- labor? Union. Oh, sorry. No, no, don't go. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say, uh, yeah, no, that like, ab- absolutely. Like the, the violence of that period, there was a sustained period in human history, not even that far removed, where assassination was a very viable political tactic, right? Like so many people, bad bosses and bad government leaders had assassination attempts given on them. I think one thing that really animated me was, like you mentioned, Battle of Blair Mountain. I spent two spring breaks as an, as a chemical engineer with a ragtag group of leftists going up to uh, West Virginia and learning about uh, the workers' struggles there, the struggle for mountain justice against mountaintop removal and environmental justice and activism, and then seeing the deep ties of labor in that. I think that is another place where I started to get fascinated. Emma Goldman is one of my inspirations, famously expelled from the country on trumped up charges, um, alleging that she gave a speech so powerful and so rousing that it inspired an assassination attempt on, um, on the president. Imagine people finding you guilty of giving such a good speech that it inspired someone to go and take action like that. And I found that her power with words inspired me. Uh, So then, you know, I kind of have taken off with it. And where I am now is I work in Washington state for um, one of the large unions here that represents a a variety of workers. It's called the United Food and Commercial Workers. Um, I'm an organizer. We organize in retail, we organize in grocery, we organize in healthcare, and I'm working right now with healthcare workers across the state of Washington to build power in their workplace and to form unions. And the the, the basics of that is without a union, the and without coworkers coming together, the boss controls 100% of your life, your health insurance, your income, your future, your time off or your time with your family. And we know through the past 18 months that uh, workers, healthcare workers should have a say. They know this pandemic. They know the effects of it on their lives better than anyone else. And they should be the ones calling the shots. They should be at the table and they should be listened to. Um, But this is a learned thing, right? Most people in the United States don't have experience working in a labor union, nonetheless winning and building a labor union in their workplace. Union density is kind of at the lowest levels it's been in 100 years. Um, Only 6%, I believe, of private workplaces have a union. And overall, nationally, I believe it's below 12% or 11% have any union. Public sector is a different thing, but a big Supreme Court decision within the past decade um, absolutely dealt not a death blow, but a not insignificant blow to public unions, to public sector unions. So if you're working at a university or uh, or at a library, a public library, right? But in Washington state and in the Puget Sound, Seattle area, we are about twice the national average in terms of union density. So not only maintaining that strength of about one in five workers having access to a labor union, but building on that, I think, is how real change happens in this country. Uh, Love them or hate them, but voting for Biden, voting for Trump, 
does not trickle down in the same way that voting in a labor union at your workplace and being able to collectively, democratically decide your working conditions does. And ultimately, we need to start having wins. We need to start taking power. Because if we are going to stop climate change, if we are going to stop the rise of fascism and the alt-right in the United States, we need power. And that is power with, not power over, power with our coworkers. So I think forming a union and fighting for that is, if you had to think of democracy as a muscle, and if you had to think of winning for your your shared humanity as a muscle, it is the be- one of the best exercises out there. And we have to start doing it more and more and more, or else this country is Jeff Bezos's country. Um, and I, I see a lot of hope. I see the workers in Starbucks today filed for three more stores, filed for a union election in three more stores. I saw an update from an independent labor union for Amazon workers. I think it's in Staten Island up in the East Coast. They collected over 200 cards of support for a union election in one day and 24 hours. Over 200 warehouse workers were like, yeah, we have to take some power back over our lives. And, uh, you know, here in Seattle and Washington, I just, you know, it's, there's almost more phone calls and emails than can be dealt with of people reaching out and trying to form unions. So, um, yeah, it's a very thrilling time, but the odds are very, very hard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I haven't really, to be honest, like I haven't really looked into like the pros and cons of unions like i'm not i don't really i I would say i haven't really have a full form a fully formed opinion on what what they are if they're good i know that there's definitely some like a lot of net benefits for having a union and being organized and then i also from like a different perspective like there's definitely some cons right like that you also have to pay for this this comes out of your 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 paycheck and so i'm just like in ter- with, with in terms of like Amazon, um, I don't know. Like that's a massive corporation has a lot of power, and some of the conditions that I've seen, just uh, I've read about, right? Like the the conditions for their workers are atrocious. I know that some that they're on, they're potentially being timed to go to the bathroom and they're like, it, it, that seems a little bit insane. Right. So I think in, in a case like that, that might be uh, a good place to have a little bit of power to be like, you know, fuck you. I don't want to do that. Like I'm a human being, I'm not a robot, but um, like, I guess if you could walk me through some of the pros, try and persuade me to jump on the union bandwagon, I would appreciate that. Well, it's, uh, I'll start off with power is a zero-sum game. Some things like, uh, like rights and respect, no one has to sacrifice rights and respect. But power in the workplace, there's only so many chips, right? Say you're in a poker game or say you are uh, counting grapes, right? You have a fixed number. Without a labor union, the employer has 100% of the power. So that I don't see, I mean, I think the only cons that I could see are poorly run, mismanaged, or uh, despotic or nepotistic uh, unions and structures and organizations. 
But the pros, so I'll walk you again, like you said, through some of the pros. Pros, um, democracy in the workplace. So the ability to vote on your labor conditions, to negotiate on your labor conditions, to have an actual shared governance over your daily life. I can vote for city council all I want, but the power to vote and have a legally binding contract that says what your terms and conditions of employment are is powerful. Furthermore, dues. You brought up the dues Wait, question. Can, That's the biggest one. Yeah. Can I, don't, I, can I, don't, I pause? Oh, yeah, yeah, let me. I do have one. I do have one question, right? Like, I just, I just recently transitioned careers in, in industries, and when I signed yeah. on, I signed, an, I signed a job offer and whatnot, right? And it clearly stated like the terms and the conditions of my employment. Like, I could have chosen to, like, I chose to sign because I agreed with those terms and conditions, but I could have just as equally chosen not to have done that. So, like, why? I'm playing devil's advocate, too. I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm just playing devil's advocate. But why would I want oh, to pay someone to dictate? Too. Pardon? Yeah, but they can change that any time. They're, they're in no legal obligation to not change that tomorrow. They have every labor law, right? Labor law 101. They can change that tomorrow. They can tomorrow say, actually, you put small M&Ms from this jar into this jar 12 hours a day. And sure, it's your, uh, it's your old good old American right to quit your job. But I think workers should demand more than that. More than just I quit my job or I take whatever shit I get from my boss. And they could be the best mm. bosses in the world, right? But there's something about democracy that I think is so fundamental to the human spirit that the ability to negotiate as equals and say, actually, I see here, uh, you know, maybe your contract is up for negotiation. The ability for you and your coworkers, again, collectively. Capitalism has us thinking as individuals for our own gain, but thinking about the collective, right? I work at Jimmy John's. Say the way that tips are split should be more egalitarian. We can yeah. all come together as coworkers, decide what we think is best for us, make that proposal, fight for it, and win it in uh, in either legally protected channels, or you can kind of be a rogue and ad hoc group of workers coming together. That's a model that is used by Amazonians United Chicagoland, right? They don't follow, they don't pay dues into a contract with representation. They are a rank and file sort of, uh, you know, that a hundred years ago, this sort of union was more common when it's like, it's just three to 400 workers who are on the same page and are willing to walk out until they get water at work, right? It's, yeah. e it's either you stand with your coworkers or you stand with your employer. Totally, totally and understand honestly, that. honestly, workplaces work better, yeah. So, and you are also, I, I did, I, I, before I interrupted you, you were also going to explain the, the dues, the due portion. I'm sorry I cut you off there. So we go back yeah. there real quick. Yeah. So um, if, if no one, so say, for example, my, my analogies are always terrible. I've had this problem since I was like 16. Yeah, say you good. go out to dinner with you and your friends, but no one wants to put any money into splitting some nachos you don't mm -hmm. have dinner you don't have any food right if everyone is uh, you you don't share dinner together or share a potluck without everyone contributing dues are your power by everyone chipping in just a little bit 
you build power. Because guess what? Your employer, they already take money that they could be using to pay you. And they pay at Oregon State University, for example, they pay a uh, labor negotiator $170,000 a year. They pay a director of human finances and resources whose primary job it is to pay people as little as possible $350,000 a year. They pay the president $750,000 a year. They pay the people at this side whose job it is to try to squeeze as much work out of you for as little pay as possible, enormous sums of money. And workers have a couple options. One is to take it. The other is to come together and say, let's all chip in one and a half or 2% of our income into a big pot, a war chest that we can use to fund the fight. It's the same thing with taxes, right? Or it's the same thing with splitting uh, uh, your rent or splitting pizza with your friends. If everyone is able to chip in, you build real power. If you don't chip in, that's an option that you can take too. Folks at Amazonians United Chicagoland, they're a union. They don't pay dues to folks. They just do it all ad hoc. There's pros and cons to these different approaches. But overall, the pros of joining with your coworkers versus letting the employer call all the shots and staying distant and isolated from your work coworkers it's a no-brainer. You gotta go join with your coworkers. When we say politics is local, it's really at the workplace, right? Because that there's there's two forms of of uh, of thinking about groups, like groups that are gonna fight for a better world. One are self-selecting groups. That's like Sierra Club. That's like uh, an LGBTQ club, right? Um, that's like human rights campaign. They're self-selecting because it is, it's a group of people who are selected and opt into an organization. Your workplace is, a, is like a fixed structure. There are 5,000 diverse people in a warehouse, for example, and it requires solidarity and it comes sticking together and that's what it's gonna take to change the nation is being able to change a workplace. Uh, it's kind of a microcosm of, of all those dynamics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I'm definitely admiring, I, I admire your passion. You, I can just tell you have a very big heart and you, 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 you very much care about the human spirit and, you know, making this world a better place. And that's why you, you studied what you studied. And you, you know, you don't learn this about people until you sit down and are able to have a conversation. Um, with that being said, and I, cause I'm, I'm beginning to form opinions and like, I, I do wonder, do you ever worry about, there is an argument out there that basically states that sometimes labor unions, especially let's say teachers unions, or let's go with uh, one experience I had, not even experience I had, but a story, right? Story is sometimes if you get really strong unions, which is not a bad thing, but sometimes it could prevent people from losing their jobs when they really should be losing their jobs because they're not up to, they're not performing at the the level that they should be. Because when you're you're in a workplace, you're all on a team, right? You You all get a paycheck to make sure that that company is profitable. Therefore, you keep your job, maybe get a bonus, who knows. But if you, like one, a, a fear of possibly a con would be if you have a labor union and someone's not really pulling their weight, they might not be able, they, they sh- instead of 
being kicked out of the tribe, they stay in the tribe and bring the tribe down. What would you say to that? I would say that democracy and due process is a beautiful thing. I've been uh, president of a teachers union, a coalition of graduate employees at Oregon State University, uh, about 1,800 researchers and teachers who make the university run. Um, I would say that that fear, first of all, let's talk about the roots of how these specters and these ideas have come up in the public imagination. There is a considerable amount of money and influence from groups such as the Heritage Foundation and other right-wing corporate groups that would love nothing more than to reduce our working conditions to those of easily replaceable labor, a la Bangladesh, a la, um, you know, uh, Croatia, right? Like uh, countries where really workers have a really terrible end of the stick. So there's been a lot of uh, fear, uncertainty, and disinformation given about these things. Now, the teachers' unions... um, are so, so inspiring, right? And But you bring up a, a point that, that I hear a lot when I'm organizing. So I, say I'm sitting with a group of pharmacists and one of them is like, well, you know, I, I worry that right now, um, any, what I hear through, through that is, right now the employer can fire anyone at will for any reason whatsoever. Um, you could be fired tomorrow for no good reason, just because you maybe gave us Maybe they interpreted a stink eye, right? Maybe they uh, didn't like a perceived tone. Any of you could be fired any day for any reason without a union. You are at will employed. You are fireable. And if you have like a really, if you have a contract that the employer wrote 100% for them, it's their word against yours. They'll find that loophole and they'll fire you. There's due process when you have a democratic union of coworkers in your workplace. So first of all, there's due process, right? Bad workers will get fired no matter what, right? It's in the company's interests and it's on you and your coworkers' interests. A good union of good workers who, who negotiate a good contract on their terms, I'm sure that if you brought that up to your coworkers forming a union, your coworkers would say, yes, let us put language in our contract that we wrote, that we negotiate, and that we vote for. Again, you've, you've done all those things. That provides the expectations in the process to get fired. As a, as a, a union organizer and as, as someone who was active in my old union, I've seen people unfairly discriminated against, unfairly bullied by bosses, and allegations of underperforming that had no data, nothing to back it up. A union almost always will just say, there should be due process, evidence of misconduct or poor performance must be documented in writing a option to improve must be given and right like fairness is the end of that second of all how often do you get to fire a shitty boss how often can you fire a six-figure administrator or management part of that bloat part of that that the those those group of people that um the work of Dr. David Graeber, an anthropologist of uh, who was lost this past year to the pandemic, he did a large-scale study in a very thorough book. I recommend it in the show notes. It's called 
Bullshit Jobs, a theory by Dr. David Graber. And, and these are the kind of folk that are paper pushers, rubber stampers, not all of them, but a lot of these people in upper and middle management and, and at the top can't be fired. Not only can they not be fired, but the, if they are fired, I'm sure that they will go seamlessly into another organization. Um, or they'll be rich enough to not feel the consequences. So for us little people on the ground, for us little vulnerable people, having due process is so worth it. And uh, it doesn't extend both ways, right? We don't get to fire them without due process. We don't get to fire them at all. So if anything, we just need a little bit of protection. And if that keeps someone who's slightly lazy on the payroll, um, honestly, right? Let's. I, I'm sure that some other organizer is going to say I shouldn't even entertain that idea, but there have been times where I haven't worked a full 40-hour week, when I've been depressed, when I've been anxious, sad, dealing with shit, had a death in the family. Yeah, you no, I, get fired I, I, for I that any day, but... You know, I, I think that due process is good. I definitely get you. I'm going to push back a little bit more. I'm going to push back. This is a, a very spirited debate, right? Um, so, in terms of like, I look at the I look at the world, right? And I see right now there is a giant, giant labor shortage. And the way that I think the world is heading, I think in the next. 15 to 20 years, maybe longer. I don't know how many, not, not menial, like um, redundant jobs uh, as far as like factory labor and stuff. I don't know how many of those will be around due to automation. And with the labor shortage, I don't think it's like, I don't, and this is, I don't know if this is a completely fair thing to say, right? But I don't know if it's a great point, right? That, you could just like we all work for. I, I mean, I think I'm at an at will. I think it's called an at will and employed state, or I don't know. I'm probably messing that up or something like. I'm in employment at will, I guess. So basically, I show up there and I can yeah, get fired. Fire but I don't tomorrow. think exactly. But that's not really a huge fear of mine because I'm in a, a different industry, right? My my performance is based off of results and numbers. If I generate, I generate, I am in a Until revenue. Until they fire you for whatever reason. I mean, potentially, but I'm in a revenue p p producing role at my company, right? So I bring in money. If I bring in a shit ton of money, why would they want to get rid of me? Like that's like, if I'm not bringing in, if, I, if I'm not bringing in or making sales, then I'm going to get axed or I'll be on a performance enhancement plan. I'll get out. But until I do that, it's pretty much like free reign. Now I understand that there are not, not every job is set, like set up that way. But so from my perceptive of the world, I'm not sure, like that's not a really big fear of mine, right? Like does it, is this, is that kind of making sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, it sounds like your job in particular, you know, everyone's situation is different. You've got a job where you are confident, where you feel that you are producing results in that, um, that there is an expectation and a performance plan that's given that, that you feel not only are you matching, but you're, you're doing great at, um, I will, I will answer that with the union contract, if that union you have, if, if of that contract and that performance plan and evaluation and expectations, if all that was in a union contract, 
and the employer went around it, uh, you would have the legal right to grieve and challenge them and retain your job or get your job back. You'd be able to fire an unfair labor practice. You'd be able to uh, have resources and folks to back that up on your side, sort of your own version of you and your coworkers having um, human resources that worked for you, that you employed, and that you helped manage. You are an at-will employee. They can, I'll just say, the fact is you might not be afraid, but they can do whatever they want. Uh, that's just factually, legally true. They can kind of do whatever they want. Um, and they have the resources to, if, if, you, if what they do looks outside of your contract, if you said, hey, uh, I met the performance plan, I was generating revenue, um, why'd you fire me? A, they don't have to tell you. B, and if you say that's not in the contract, you don't have a lawyer, a union, you don't have a, a, a negotiated contract protected by the Na National Labor Relations Act, and most importantly, you don't have a union consisting of all of your coworkers standing shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, defending one another from unfair treatment. In this hypothetical example, uh, your current situation, you're just SOL, like you don't have the resources to do that. Uh, if you're union, you have people arm in arm with you, you have resources, and there's a, a legality to the signed paperwork. Okay. So, yeah, I, was, I just pulled up the, the National Labor Relations. So that's, that's the right to organize unions, correct? That's what that law means? All right. Okay, cool, cool. So I was I was gonna say, doesn't that apply to me as it is an individual? Because, no, so that's that's only if you're you're you are organized. But technically speaking, I could get a lawyer and I could sue. We live in the most one of the most I, I want to say litigious. I think that's the wrong. I mean, word. How much how much money do you got in your spare pocket to hire a uh, a, a lawyer to um, do that? If if you got fired tomorrow. Um, just hypothetical. Let me let me throw one at you. Tomorrow, you are fired. At will. I'm fired. What do you do? At will. What are what, what are my why am I fired for? What am I fired for? No. What are you gonna do? At will. They don't have to explain. They can fire you. What do you oh, do? Man. I probably pick up the phone and get a new job. I get a new job. I don't know. It all it all depends on what I was yeah. fired for. I was I thought you were I thought you were gonna set me up. I'm gonna sue dog immediately. Well, no, you're fired tomorrow. Yeah. How much money is that gonna cost? And what are you gonna do for That's income sad. in the meantime to get that job? Gonna, back? I mean, I I have I've seen I'd, I'd maybe be right. Uber drive. I'd be okay. No, I'd be okay. You'd be I'd okay. Be all right. What about all, all right. your coworkers? All, they're not all gonna get fired. I see some hands up. What's up? I see a, a hand up. I've been trying. Sorry, you guys have been going. I'm. And this is fantastic to listen to. I just <laughs> wanted to come back in to I think two positions ago uh, in the conversation, uh, Andrea, when you were talking about labor participation. Um, I found it's the 2021 labor report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that there were 7.1 million private sector um, union workers, and that was a decrease of 428,000 uh, workers year over year. Um, 
and there was one other portion of it that I wanted to find. Uh, then that there were um, 30 states that had union participation below 10.8 percent, 10.8 percent, and only uh, 20 states had rates above 10 uh, percent. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we can clearly see who's running the shots in our economy. It isn't everyday people. If everyday people were able to control our conditions in this society, um, I assure you we wouldn't be letting our friends and neighbors go without medical treatment, um, be sleeping on the streets. Uh, you know, we'd be able to afford food and housing and uh, live in a much more egalitarian way. Um, I'm sending you uh, a, a recent Economic Policy Institute graph that showed, you know, kind of compares union membership and share of income going to the top 10%. That's a pretty powerful one. And then when you look at more data from the Economic Policy Institute, I have some written um, right here. A few quick facts is like unionized workers, according to their August 2020 report, unionized workers earn on average 11.2% more in wages uh, for the same jobs than non-unionized peer in the same industry and occupation with similar education and experience. And that's due to the power to demand better and fight for better. And uh, there's a racial justice component too. For example, Hispanic workers represented by unions are paid an average of 20.1% more than their non-union peers. So that 11.2, when we start to break it down by gender, uh, LGBTQ folks across race and religion. Um, it's also a force for social justice where implicit bias can have its effect. So, you know, whether it's a formal union through the National Labor Relations Act, and I will say that the NLRA will pro also protect non-union workers who are engaging in what is called concerted and collective activity. So if uh, you and your coworkers are organizing a petition, demanding better treatment at Pizza Hut, and you are doing this off company time, right? You're not shirking your job duties to share around this petition. Um, it's against the law for them to discriminate or fire you. That being said, the law is not our savior, right? Just because something's illegal doesn't mean something don't do it. We all know that. Just because something's illegal mm. doesn't mean something won't do it. And employers, uh, by and large, play by their own rules, and it's up to folks to match them and call them out on it. Um, yeah, but anyway, thank thank you for those pointers. I, I a few more statistics to add to the conversation. No, this no, that's this is that's good. Um, do you think? I mean, do, don't you think though, like that unions to a certain extent could pit the the workers against the companies, right? Like, like in a negative way. And that might cause, let's say prices to go up on certain products. Like I've just, this is just an idea that, that kind of popped into my head. Like what, like, I, I mean, I, well, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a really good, um, yeah. Well, I, I will say, for example, I pay membership to three unions right now. I pay dues to uh, the union I work for as a member of the union I work for. And mm -hmm. just because I work at a labor union doesn't mean that I don't also need people 
uh, who can negotiate my working conditions. That, that doesn't mean that I don't want to stand arm in arm with the other people who work at our labor union. So we have a labor union as well. Uh, and I pay into that so that we have power and protection and that we are able to help train each other, do social events, build, build bonds and stuff. Even though I have no gripes with my employer, right? I still come together for a labor union. And then a third one, I'm also a dual card uh, member of the Industrial Workers of the World, um, which is a very radical and leftist um, social justice oriented labor union that has a, um, a real powerful history and contemporary presence in sticking up for everyday working people. Okay. Um, and so to, I guess, to, you know, affirm what you said, like, you know, if if a, if a company is mired in um, workers fighting the company, you know, ultimately, you're right, that's bad for the employer. So what would the employer do? Take, for example, John Deere, where 10,000 workers are on strike right now. Um, it doesn't look good on John Deere to be offering them kind of peanuts for their work. It doesn't look really good on John Deere that these workers are uh, on strike and um, that uh, they've put their uh, white collar workers on the factory floor and there's videos on Twitter of uh, ambulances running to a fire at the factory now that the 10,000 skilled workers are on strike. Doesn't look good for John Deere that um, Oh, gosh. Uh, the very first day, someone who was working there, a non-union worker, kind of like leaked out on Twitter that someone instantly first day drove a highly skilled piece of equipment straight into a wall because they're not trained on it. Um, yeah. Ultimately, that yeah. looks bad on the worker. If John Deere came forward and offered competitive, strong, uh, humane and... Uh, generous working conditions to these skilled workers, um, that'd look great. And in fact, I think you can look around and see a lot of places that treat their workers very well uh, that are union, where there's not a negative relationship, where there is a collaborative relationship. Um, that's, that is common and that, that can happen. That's a choice on the employer, not the workers. Yeah, and and I think um, and this might be, but screwed on John Deere, I think that there's a law where you can't work on their equipment. Uh, I think you have to hire a technician, which if you're a farmer and you spend a quarter of a million to a half a million dollars on like a combine or some large piece of equipment and you can't work on that yourself, I think that's kind of bullshit personally. John, fact check that though. I could be completely full of shit there. Um, <clears throat> but I think, I'm, I'm pretty confident. But, um, so, but the, so, yeah. And then let's see, I think, I believe, um, I guess you've done, you've done a lot to, you, you bring up some good points. I mean, the pro is you have a strong front to negotiate with when you're going up against the company. That's a very good pro. Uh, for unions. Con, I do think it sometimes can pit employees against their employers. I think it probably would raise the cost and decrease production. Go ahead, John. Um, so I can't find anything relating to that law that you... I'm if, full of shit, I'm guys, not saying I'm you're sorry. wrong. Um, but to kind of back uh, 
Dr. Haverkamp, uh, or Haverkamp, sorry. Um, I having worked, uh, and I, I don't work there anymore and I'm happy to flame them working at Starbucks, uh, just cause it's a labor law doesn't mean shit. Uh, they will do whatever they can to get as much money out of you as possible. Um, fuck Starbucks. <laughs> and that's, that's and that's ultimately why, right? If there's a choice between workers standing with each other and workers being divided and conquered, I think uh, you know there's just not a good there's not a good case for us all to be individual people uh, struggling out there, individual people all atomized and on our own, right? Cap- capitalism has a sort of epistemology of competition, of uh, trying to scramble to put one boot on another person in order to increase our stakes up higher. Um, And again, uh, I think that the pro is factual and logical, right? Like people standing together have more power and you have a, a right and an ability to negotiate a binding, uh, enforceable agreement with the union. The other one's a hypothetical. It doesn't always turn negative. Um, you know, yeah. I've worked in, uh, we had, our, our staff at my old union were, were unionized. There was not a bad uh, relationship there. There's many uh, nonprofits and private businesses that, I mean, treat their employees well. I don't think magically out of thin air, employees come together and they go, I've for some reason now I'm negative, right? If there is a negative relationship, it's usually rooted in some sort of mistreatment, um, rarely out of fiction. Uh, And that's all, again, I mean, that's kind of on the employer to decide the terms of that relationship, Um, you know, because they're the ones that have the hiring, firing, and uh, wages to to be earned. This gets very Marx very quick, right? Very Marx. Uh, the capital One class sec. and then the employed class. What's up, John? Uh, so I found what you're talking about. So it's, uh, yes, John Deere is suing, or a farm, a group of farmers are suing John Deere. Uh, it's based in the right to repair law that John Deere is saying that their tractors are their intellectual property and they only, only they and their designated representatives have the right to work on John Deere property. It's basically yeah. you're leasing a tractor if you're not though. buying it. That's yeah, not the exactly. manufacturer. So that's like my you, that's like Deere. my uh, my my family friends out in Kansas. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so fuck you, John Deere. I was right. I knew it. And you're bastards. <laughs> that's, that's what I had to say. Well, um, that's two different but, things, right? Like in, in the employee manufacturing the facility, non-salaried, yes. not I mean salaried non-union workers are able to help produce and manufacture John Deere yeah. parts as scabs. What you were referring to is the customer's right, the customer's right yes, to repair yes, yes, this equipment. Yes, and and exactly. so uh, the strike and that sort of right to repair oh, compl- law, I'm fully no, they're, for they're right compl- to repair. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. completely different issues. I was just that you said John Deere that triggered something in my brain, and then I decided <laughs> to go on a tirade um, yeah. about that. But I, no, I completely understand. Now you you're, you're talking a lot about Marx. Don't are you a communist? You're not, are you? <laughs> I threw up the word Marx. Um, so personally, if I put on my academic hat um, and I take off my labor organizing hat, um, yeah, I don't really believe in isms. I think isms get too complicated, 
versus a Marxism versus a Maoism versus an anarcho-communism versus a socialism versus a ism this, ism that. I find isms to be almost kind of dangerous, kind of like as a queer person, I don't really have a good, neat set of sexuality, hyper-specific labels or whatever. Like, I don't, I'm not a big isms person. Well, All that I know is that uh, some of the principles of um, writers like Noam Chomsky, of David yep. Graeber, um, speak really powerfully to me when they write about anarchism. And I think there's something compelling that um, it, it almost starts with, as Noam Chomsky explains it, a, a really interesting hypothesis that um, all authority over other people is unjust until it is validated and, and and consented to let me look up the exact quote but but the basic premise is, is like none of us really should have the ability to tell each other what to do um that's kind of unjust until proven otherwise so everyone's individual personal liberty of uh of agency um you know, sort of protected at, at its at its core. So I believe in people's liberty, people's ability to um, come together and challenge injustice. Uh, and I think hierarchies okay. in general tend to get clunky and bad. Okay, I see what you're saying. Um, I see, so you're. I mean, I'm. I'm not. I guess I'm trying to build like a. I'm trying to understand you as a human. And um, human, there's a lot of nuance and a lot of. Um, I get it. Like you, you have certain ideas that you look at, like you've read Marx and Chomsky and you're like, I like this. So I'm going to pull this out. And I think this is cool. And like, you're, but you're not like, there, there's nothing like super hardcore and you're like, no, we need, we need the state to control everything. No, that's insane. But you're, you're talking about Liberty. You're, you just want to be left. Communism the fuck alone. Or bust. Yeah, yeah. 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 You just want to well, be left the fuck alone, yeah. which, I, which I can, which I can relate to. Cause I'm like, I'm all about liberty. I'm all about freedom and I'm all about personal choice, but I'm mm -hmm. also really a big proponent of personal accountability and personal responsibility. And I think that sometimes I feel like we have lost a little bit, especially on the accountability and responsibility part. I feel like we have lost a little bit of that as I, and I'm not sure why, you know, I don't know why, but, um, I don't, you know, I like, and I understand like sometimes like as of right now, I, I, if I look at the the political landscape, if I look at kind of what's going on in the world, like the left scares me a little bit because at, there are certain points. And again, I don't know how much of this is even factual. There's like, I'm just, this is what I'm seeing. Right. I see like, Sometimes they keep they they keep pushing for more control and more like restriction of free free speech and ideas and like that scares the shit out of me. And then on the other side, you have like the extreme right, which is you know they want to no abortions and like you know everything's cool if as long as you believe in. Christianity and whatever, like, and I think that that's also insane, right? And, and then I think that like most of us generally fall in the middle, right? Like, I I would say I'm a little bit extreme, where it's like extreme freedom. Like, if you if you want to have an abortion, like, 
by all means, pers- personally, like, am I for it? Not really, but I don't give a fuck if you do it. I don't want to infringe on your rights if you want to do prostitution like that's your body your choice you know just leave me alone basically you want to have guns cool i don't care like that's kind of where i'm at right i just want like freedom basically and personal autonomy now i also understand that like that's that we're that gets let's insane. i'm not if i you wouldn't want me to be president of the united states i'd be terrible but like because i'd be like oh, drugs are legal it's all good and you know that comes with with its price but i'm just trying to like kind of figure out you know what how your brain works and how you think i think you think a lot differently than i do i also think that we probably disagree on a lot but i also feel like we agree on a lot more than we disagree on which is important i think so too and and i think i think there's a thing in uh today's sort of political discourse it's just so overrun with grifters with people trying to squeeze a buck, right? There's there's a zillion uh, opinion columns out there and pundits that generate a lot of money off of people being mad at each other, right? I, that 24 news cycle requires 24 seven um, anger as one of the hottest emotions that people get mad and hatred. And it's, it's just, it's dirty. And I don't think it's how um, anthropologists currently see human history and social psychologists see humans as as fundamentally operating fundamentally humans are curious collaborative uh caring beings and to organize ourselves in an egalitarian and uh, compassionate way is very innate to people uh to ourselves um and that does require us uh, to sort of have that both and approach, right? That what you talked about, that individual accountability as well as collective accountability. It requires us to have individual freedom as well as, well as like collective freedom. Um, mm-hmm. And I think these are all things that uh, to me as someone who has sometimes, you know, steered towards what Emma Goldman described in 1917 as anarchism, a philosophy of a social of a new social order based on liberty unrestricted by man-made law. That the theory that all forms of government rest on violence as and are therefore wrong and harmful as well as unnecessary. It's a pretty strong statement. But at her core, saying uh, a society based on liberty. I think most people can get behind that. And I think you're right that there is a, a tendency for us to look at society uh, through almost a Twitter lens, right? To, to, yes. to see like a very inflamed left and a very inflamed right. Whereas when you go into a grocery store, most people aren't fighting. When you go into a, a restaurant, most people aren't fighting. When you're in a college classroom, yeah. as I've taught college classrooms, most people aren't fighting. So but these days we're so attached and looking at screens and we, we see Twitter world and we see Facebook world and we see Instagram world. And we start to think that that's real life because it partially is real life, right? Um, there are people who will go on to 4chan and say unimaginable hate speech, then get up, put on their work uniform and, uh, and go to work with the very coworkers they may have been saying very offensive things about before. It's it's a it's a very perverse society, and I don't I don't know. Um, I 
I, I don't quite have a magic wand to know exactly what's the best way to go. What do you what do you think are some ways that we can heal and come together and, and care for each other more? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, that's a great question. And I think for me, right, I think the one thing that, and I've said this a billion times, I think you, we all have to figure out ourselves first. I think that everyone wants to try and solve the world's, the world's problems, but you need to fucking fix yourself first. You need to, and I'm not saying, like, I always, you got to go to the gym, you got to do, no, 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 I'm just saying you got to work on yourself, figure out your own shit. You're not going to be able to solve anybody else's problems until you can, like, look at yourself and figure out what's wrong with you. So that's a first, 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 first place to start. Um, And I think that a diet also, you got to be mindful of what you put in your meat wagon. You only get one of them. So I think that that's incredibly important. And I also think we all need to read more. Like like there's so, when I look online and I I see, oh, I can't believe this is, this is happening or this is happening. It's like, if you actually paid attention to history and realized how barbaric of a species we are, none of this would surprise you. We also need to look back at like what we've done so we can figure out why we're here and how we get better. So I think that like read history, become more well-read and also like look at some of the great minds that have, that have published works. That is, that is, that is a way to connect with our ancestors and build and expand upon these ideas that they'd laid down for us through their writings. You know, I think that philosophy and reading philosophy. Uh, we just talked to Avi, Avi Loeb. He read philosophy and he's, he's a physicist. Like this, that was his first love. Like instead of like, you know, watching TV, watching sports, which I do. And I love all of those things, but I also make time to read. I, I think that that's a very important thing. And uh, if you're confused about a, a problem in the world, do not go to your television, go to books. Um, Nicholas Tlaib, uh, that a uh, black swan uh, th- that was I uh, read that book and one of the things he said is like when I'm confused about a problem I go to a book and this is a man that I believe predicted the 1987 crash on Wall Street and made a shit ton of money made fuck you money on that and he's just kind of been living the dream ever since um, I'm sure he's a controversial figure but I, I love him to death um, but I'm just like I think that all of these like the primary the, the the main thing I'm trying to say is we all have to fix ourselves. If you have trauma, go talk to someone, get that figured out. And once we figure that out and we can, if you have insecurities, figure out what you can, we can do to fix that. Right. If you're, you know, obese, try and lose weight, get in shape. If you figure out those insecurities or those things that are holding you back, then you can move forward. And also figure out a way to mitigate fear. Fear is the mind killer. It is, it is something that you can see online so much as some, a lot of these attacks are just because people are insecure or they're scared and they don't know what's going on. Like we have to, we have to stop, have to stop that. We have to love ourselves right before we can love any, anybody else. And then once you've done, and only then once you've dealt with that, then maybe try and do something. But I mean, I, be the change you want to see in the world until we can fix ourselves. We're not, we're not doing anything. Yeah. You, uh, you give a very, very compelling, uh, and, uh, just like very 
just so many things I empathize with there in that that sort of statement, right? And I really resonate with working on yourself. Like I finally, once I got, um, you know, I was between jobs and once I did get this job and I got, you know, health insurance in and figured out and I got situated, um, I go to therapy once a week and I've been in, in and out of various therapists for, gosh, like I think I saw my first therapist was like a school counselor in elementary school, right? When my parents were divorcing and through all of this, like I've learned that we are not responsible. Like so much of us, so many adults in the United States walk around with unresolved and unexamined childhood trauma or post-traumatic stress or, or just for lack of a better word, hurt and baggage. And, um, we're not responsible for the stuff that was given to us when we were minors, when we were small, when we uh, really didn't know uh, or had have any ability to to say this is unjust or this is this is not how I should be treated. But we are as as we come into our adulthood, responsible for how we uh, for how when if we examine it, and then how it more or less comes out on other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and to heal from that, I think is one of life's holiest quests, right? You know, for, for some in their religion that can approach enlightenment and that can be something very profound to work on all these things, all of our life, right? Like there's whole, you know, religions dedicated to just perfecting the self, like you said, um, same with, you know, uh, I don't think everything is valid. I think, uh, the way we, and hear and interpret things. I mean, that's, that's, that's valid, but then how we treat other people as a result, that's not always valid. Like hurting other people because we hurt is bad. Uh, I had an ex say like, I did that to intentionally hurt you. That's not good. But all that said, like, um, to do that work, you know, I have to have health insurance to be able to see a therapist, uh, and to uh, a strong wage to be able to not have housing stress. I used to sleep in a van for a period. I can tell you my mental health when I was sleeping in a van cold in Oregon at night with a leaky van, getting wet at night, <laughs> sleeping with a hot thermos was down to here. And yeah. right, like uh, the, the mental health stress of sleeping in a wet bed in an in a old 1990 Ford F-350, uh, bad. Wait, but what like I can say is that uh, this is kind of to wrap the full circle. Oh, it was the E, the like E three fifty. Oh, gotcha, 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 gotcha. It was an Econoline. <laughs> no, oh, dude, no, those yeah, are got dumb. The e. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's a good if you like ska. There's a good uh, less than Jake song, really old one back when they were still good, called Econoline, like a verb. Yeah. But you know, we have to be able to collectively help each other out because once I had my 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 union job where we had a, a hardship fund where we would help him. Em- employees who are hard on, you know, co-workers who are hard on their straights out with, uh, you know, small checks, 100, 200 bucks once a year. It's not much. It certainly helps. Um, the access to mental health care through Medicare, uh, Medicare for all or another sort of uh, way to do what so many other countries do that we don't do um, to get each other off the streets, to get each other, um, the crimes of despair is what Bernie Sanders called it, uh, where it's addiction and homelessness and breaking and entering, like a lot of that stuff we do out of hurt and need. So that, that approach of being able to 
you know, I would love to help you be able to self-actualize and heal, just like I would hope you would be able to help me and our coworkers and our community members. So it's up to us as individuals to do that work. Um, and then also up to us as a collective to give each other the tools and to build a society where you're not sleeping in a van working 50 hours a week, pissing in a jug, yeah. <laughs> right? To try yeah, to make ends meet because uh, a whole, uh, nothing can happen there. And, and, and fortunately that's an epidemic of, of homelessness and, and housing insecurity has skyrocketed in the pandemic. And yeah. just thinking how we can help those folk reach where we are. Um, yeah. I, that's I why would, I organize, I you know? I would agree because at the end of the day, like I am you and you are me. And I'm going to add a few more things and then we're going to wrap it up. And number one is stay the fuck away from teams. Stay away from teams. There, there should never be like, you know, Democrat, but like we're all, we're all Americans. We're all humans. Like we're all on the same team. We want the same thing. We want like, we want the best. We should, if you don't fuck you, you want the best for everybody. We want everyone to come up and not come down, right? So stay away from teams. I would encourage anyone listening, right, to check out a different point of view. The mind is like a parachute. It only works when it's open. And so if you're a super hardcore left person, maybe check out some super hardcore right. Maybe not super hardcore right, but vice versa. Maybe check out a little bit of right. If you're of right, read some of the left and, and, and look at the ideas, not just because it's a party, but look at like what they're actually trying to say and try, try and understand. Don't just, and, and listen to comprehend, not to reply, right? Like that's, that's a good start and respect each other. Um, Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the show and, you know, teaching me a little bit about the union. I'm going to have you on again, for sure. We'll probably get into, into the environment. I, it was, it was a pleasure. I learned a lot and I, and hopefully you learned something too. And I, I provided some value in your life and made you think. So thanks so much. Uh, it was great being here. It's inspiring to, to see such like curiosity and engagement with ideas. Uh, you know, I definitely took a lot from this and it, it uh, expanded my mind talking to you. So thank you for having me on. That's it, folks. Love you guys. Peace. Peace.